0: good afternoon and welcome to doing more with less how to run an efficient it shop in tough times a health system cio media Inc. production just a little housekeeping before we get started my name is anthony guerra i'm the editor-in-chief of health system cio and i'll be your moderator today we're looking forward to your participation. You could send in your questions or comments anytime in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35-40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Kara Chico, SVP, Chief Digital and Information Officer with South Shore Health, Tom Barnett, Chief Information and Digital Officer with Baptist Memorial Healthcare, and Dr. Ash Goel. SVP and CIO at Bronson Healthcare, and then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right in, very important topic today. And I think people are looking for some ideas and guidance on how to navigate these uh, tough times. Uh, Kara, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role?
1: Sure. Um, So I'm Chief uh, Digital and Information Officer at South Shore Health. Um, I've been there about six years. Um, my organization is uh, a 350-bed, almost well, actually it's so about 380-bed um, acute care hospital. We have urgent care centers, medical center, um, ambulance service, and we're trying to be uh, creative in our use of uh, mobile integrated health. So, trying to um, also expand out in some innovation, innovative areas. Very good, Kara. Thank you, Tom.
2: Sure. Uh, Tom Barnett, Chief Information and Digital Officer uh, for Baptist Memorial. Baptist Memorial is headquartered out of Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, We are a 2,700-bed, 22-hospital health system over a tri-state area, predominantly serving northeast Arkansas, western Tennessee, and north and central Mississippi. Uh, We have about 150 clinics, ambulatory clinics, uh, which is serviced by our 1,000-member Baptist Medical Group Physician Group. And uh, we also have our Baptist Health Sciences University from an academic perspective uh, that has uh, degree degree programs in both nursing, imaging sciences, and uh, we'll be opening our orthopedic medical school uh, two years from now.
0: Very good, Tom. Thank you. Ash?
3: Yes. uh, Good afternoon or good morning, depending upon what time zones people are in. Uh, Ash Goel. I am the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Bronson Healthcare Group i uh, been here about five years. Now, Bronson Healthcare is primarily a Southwest Michigan mid-sized integrated healthcare organization. We have about 850 acute care beds in about 100 ambulatory locations serving 12 counties. We have a medical school, a long history of uh, graduate medical education, and uh, a mixture of urban and semi-urban and rural populations that we serve over a wide span. I think uh, our biggest uh, uh, challenges are in serving populations that have very diverse and very broad needs and how we can use technology to help. And also further the care delivery in uh, some underserved populations because we serve as the only children's hospital in the nine county area.
0: All right, very good. Looking forward to the conversation. All right, let's jump right in. In my description of this session, I wrote, economic headwinds have left health systems margins thinner than ever, with the result that IT budgets and past investments are being put under the microscope. So is that, in fact, the case? Uh, If not, let me know. Please let me know how you see the situation. Kara, we're going to start with you. Uh,
1: Everything's under the microscope right now. Um, Everyone might have different organizations, but under the financial burdens that we're all experiencing, um, we have to be very creative about our decision making and ROI on different projects. Um, You know, we are, uh, I don't know if we're okay to say vendor names, but we've put a very large EHR in um, and it has a fair amount of expense tied to it. So it's really about leveraging the investment and making sure you're getting more with it. Um, In my role, and we also have a new ERP system, because once everyone put in EHRs, they're all put in ERP systems, right? right. Um, and so it's all about, for us, because we don't have a ton of capital um, and a, a lot of strategic capital that we can allocate for the next couple of years, um, we're really trying to do, in my role even as digital officer, it's about going back and looking at the systems and making sure you've maximized the efficiency of how they're operated. Um, make sure that we're enhancing the user experience as much as possible whether it's an applicant who's applied for a job and that we're making that super easy, whether it's someone who's doing recruiting, how we're doing integration and and making that a lot more, um, you know, less burdensome. And then obviously going out and trying to make the providers of care, the um, doctors and their documentation as efficient as possible. So, you know, there's a lot we're trying to do um, and everything is being looked at and, you know, we're really trying to do our performas and our business justifications that show like how we're making things more efficient um, because, you know, even, even things that I would say that are kind of obvious that you have to do, like our move to uh, Microsoft and Exchange Online and Office 365, when I had to build into an investment and show the investment there and show that where we were able to um, get some savings by trying to be strategic in our rollout and our licensing approach. We're going to be able to bundle in some of the things to bring security and and the technology so that it can go to the cloud. Um, But, you know, all of that had to be kind of a bundled package that I had to be able to show the value um, and, you know, how I could try to save cost um, as well.
0: Very good. Very good. Tom?
2: Uh, absolutely. I see it very similar. Uh, same thing. I think we're seeing increased supplier costs. It doesn't matter what you're you're buying, whether it's at home or in a business. Uh, but uh, from an overall health system perspective, those costs are, are going up due to a variety of uh, reasons. I mean, whether it's uh, international conflicts, inflation, global supply chain delays uh, and so forth. Um, but we can't pass those costs on somewhere to other Organizations and companies onto the consumer because we have numerous uh, pre-negotiated contract rates around commercial payers or Medicare, Medicaid, and so forth. So inevitably, you end up getting crunched uh, in that headwind uh, in the middle. And as everybody comes around the table as a senior executive team, uh, typically IT tends to be one of the larger budgets that everybody begins to look for. So. I definitely think making sure that we're scrutinizing those budgets and, and making sure that we're getting maximum miles per gallon, if you will, out of those investments uh, is absolutely imperative uh, to not only to our department, to, to the organization we support as well.
0: Excellent. Very good. Ash, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I would agree with both Kara and Tom. I think the economic headwinds certainly have caused a lot of uh, inflation on acquisition of both hardware and certainly services and even simply licensing costs and a lot of technology. We have been in the midst of a lot of growth and uh, our technology challenges are around how to support that growth without necessarily scaling the costs that come with that growth. And uh, that's where building maximum efficiency has become very important. Kara had talked about also maximizing technology to reduce the amount of time that users are spending in the system in inefficient workflows. And we are uh, certainly facing that as well. So uh, a little different flavor in that we are certainly seeing more technology investment, both internally within our own organization, but also around us in the Michigan healthcare space, but uh, we have uh, not been able to keep pace with what the organization needs. And uh, certainly talent has been a big cost for us because retaining and keeping talent has become a big challenge. And uh, when you come to the table, as Tom was talking about, meeting the organizational needs, We are asking that question every time, how much can technology do to be at the forefront of the change in supporting organizational growth and not becoming a bottleneck? So telling a better story that investing in technology is important and it is necessary and not be left behind because the desires of the operators or business development are, we wanna grow, 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 but that comes at a cost of also investing in technology. So keeping that linkage tight and the strategy upfront is very important to us.
0: Excellent, very good. Okay, next question, there's a lot here. Tom, we're gonna start with you. What's the best way to ensure that every dollar is being allocated in the right place. Are dollars committed to supporting previously purchased products or started projects being more closely scrutinized? I think we said they are. There's much less tolerance for it'll start paying off soon or it's impossible to figure an ROI on this. And then I think that Kara mentioned something about this, that the majority of an IT budget is essentially committed Mm -hmm. to very large uh, applications and projects um, so, how much discretionary room is left to do all the new things people want to do? So, Tom, wherever you want to jump in there.
2: Well, I think what we're seeing is is, and I think to Ash's point as well, there is um, during these particularly uh, you know sensitive economic times as we're dealing with things that we are. While that I that light does turn back to IT in terms of hey, there's a big expense there. There's also a tremendous amount of opportunity as has been said. So making sure that we're applying things to, to ag- initiatives that return uh, some type of, of ROI. So rather than indiscriminately applying something, let's say it's an artificial intelligence because there's a buzzword that's used a lot, uh, it may be AI that's applied to something that has a cost to it that could be $500,000, but at the end of the day, it turns out it's only used by a few individuals. You know, If we're comparing, how do we pl- apply those dollars so that we're getting maximum bottom line um, results from those dollars as opposed to something that's uh, maybe not as beneficial? So I think as we're prioritizing that, you have to look at, I'm not a fan of KTLO or keep the lights on as a term, but there is a certain cost to maintaining the, the uh, operations on a day-to-day basis. That's kind of non-discretionary. You don't have a choice. Typically, they're multi-year contracts anyway. What's discretionary is that percentage of the budget that can be put toward business problems. And I think that's where governance uh, definitely comes in. So making sure that we're selecting the right business case, applying those dollars appropriately, and making sure that we're holding both uh, the project team as well as operations accountable to, to delivering those results. Um, is how we prioritize. So inevitably, any governance system really benefits from some type of scoring because you don't know this, uh, those attributes going into a lot of initiatives. It sounds great. I heard a great vendor presentation. My buddy at another health system turned it on and they had phenomenal results. I'm sure they did well that work here. It's a different organization, but let's walk through it and look at it. And there's a lot of different dimensions you can use, whether it's patient safety, financial results, cost savings, um, physician efficiency. There's a lot of criteria you can put into that. But having some level of filtering to be able to have a more meaningful conversation around where to apply those dollars uh, is always a big benefit for the organization.
0: Very good. Ash, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I would add to what Tom is saying here. You know, technology teams are planners. They like to think far ahead and look at what their committed dollars and resources are. What we have seen is that cycle has become shortened and the strategic spend has pivoted or shifted faster than we feel sometimes prepared to support. So in that sense, there is a little bit of an unsettled nature around our governance. We used to be very effective at finding out what we are going to spend money in far enough in advance that was tied to system strategies identified year on year and tried to minimize variance from that, because then once we had all the ducks in a row, then the return on investment became a fiat accompli, right? Because it is supporting a system strategy. That has changed because the business uh, propositions are changing fast and furious. Part of that has been around, as I mentioned previously, around the growth of the organization, but also this realization that the growth does not necessarily come from traditional methods. It comes from some other areas of opportunity, whether it is in partnerships or it is in you know, creating new business models, and that has required us to pivot in much shorter time frames, which has led to challenges of competing resources, both for dollar and people in time. So we have tried to find better ways to create visible methodology for both the operators and my strategic business partners and the senior executive team to understand what is the highest value for that dollar spent. And in healthcare and particularly in nonprofit healthcare doesn't always end up in the dollars spent, right? As an example, for the comment that I had made earlier around being the sole children's hospital provider in a very large region, we also have a very significant investment in community health. And we built a very large data infrastructure around geospatial mapping of social determinants and real data, that's language and ethnicity and all those things and social determinants, which was not necessarily for use internally, but for use at public health level for the counties, for the multiple other organizations around this area. And that was an investment that we did because there wasn't gonna be an ROI, right? It was an investment because we felt accountable for that business value we were gonna to provide to the community. And that's relatively new for us to think outside of the box and pivot more rapidly and trying to find then to say other internal demands on our services have to come second sometimes. That's been a learning activity both for us and for my business partners or the CEOs of different entities that I support. Uh, Continuing to learn and trying to figure out how to make the best out of both those demands.
1: Very good, Ash, thank you. Kara? So uh, in regards to the first question, um, are dollars getting committed, uh, and is it impossible to figure an ROI on certain things, and is that acceptable any longer? I would say it really speaks to um, organizational maturity so, I have, and probably all of us have had um, projects that maybe the ROI wasn't fully considered or vetted before uh, um, the project was kicked off. Same with KPIs, right? But I think it's going to be harder and harder to um, for organizations that are going to remain solvent, um, especially if they're um, looking at restricted dollars. That in order to compare projects, want you know, and make your investments and do proper business planning, you really kind of have to know what is the outcome need to look like, um, and ensure it's more than just turning a system on and checking a box, um, and what i'm seeing even in my own organization as we mature and um different business leaders come in um with you know past experience more on the roi side it has gone back we have gone back and done certain things like optimized our ERP system so that it wasn't just turned on and functioning, but really that people are highly accountable, that leaders know what the top five reports are that they need to run each month, that the report is credible, and that, you know, people start to manage to that as as a simple example. Um, Whereas a lot of times it's just, you know, turn the system on and don't necessarily push on the ROI. I'd say the other piece that, you know, as, um, you know, probably all of us have seen is really the hardest part of of, um, IT is supporting the change management and the transformation that needs to come. And those are the things that are often reasons why people don't push on the ROI, because it's not simple as, just turn it on and it's going to happen. It's about changing someone's job. It's about eliminating someone's job. It could be about creating standards that are going to um, cause you know some type of disruption for the organization. You know things like open scheduling for doctors. That's a um, an ROI that can you know make a lot of sense for patients. They'll have more ability to see doctors but it can be hugely disruptive for for, for providers who want to have custom schedules and work life balance and all these other things. So, I think what we're starting to see, at least I'm seeing more and more, is um, in order to dig deep and get the ROI, um, it should be called out from the beginning. It should be a a change management plan that accompanies the IT project plan. It's not IT that necessarily should be leading the change. It should be partnered with other executives. um, And it should be really clear on on what does success look like.
0: Kara, as a follow-up, how much should IT or CIOs be responsible for system use and optimization. So, for example, if we're talking about, you know, you get a system live, you roll it out, you know, the users were involved in the selection to some degree and whatnot and all those good things. And let's say it's got 50 bells and whistles. How much are you responsible for making sure they use as many of those bells and whistles as possible versus how much is the business's responsibility? I gave you the tool. I provide the tool. Now I got to make sure you're using the tool.
1: Yeah, I I think that, you know, at the outset, when you're first implementing the tool, um, I also have project management reporting it to me. So a big part of it is, you know, kind of, again, what does success look like, a day in the life, understanding kind of those functionalities. I think there are certain things that should be almost non-negotiable functionalities that if you're not using certain things, you know, you're not really using the system, but let's talk about algorithms and, you know, all the things that come with a lot of our EHRs. How many have we all turned on? There's hundreds in my system, and I think I have we have two turned on. So the level of adoption around trying to ensure that you're really using it and the, the buy-in and the prioritization, um, we can kind of start to lead the discussion, but it's really about partnering with um, informatics and, and business leaders in order to, you know, whether they're algorithms that will impact patient experience or lead to better quality safety outcomes. but really others have to champion champion a lot of these things, but we can instruct and kind of lead on what on what's possible and help kind of lead that discussion.
0: So, Tom, what do you, what do you, how do you feel about that? Is is, Kara discusses that dynamic where you're leading the discussion, and it sounds like it might be something to the effect of, "Hey, do you know you're using two of the fifty algorithms in this pretty good, you know, pretty fancy tool you rolled out? You guys want to might want to take a look at the rest of these. I mean, is is it that, or is it then follow up on your to do list two months from now?" Go back and check if they're using any more than the two, and if not, again initiate that discussion.
2: I'm, I'm in agreement with Kara. I think um, what we've found has been uh, really useful is to come up with single page. Anytime you go over one page, it starts to get convoluted. But some type of scorecard or utilization report that shows how much we're using, uh, so that because many times they're so business uh, focused on the operation side you may not be aware that there is, uh, to Kara's point, the latest bell and whistle or, or something in the platform that we have not yet turned on because they're too busy doing the work that they need to do each day. So I think raising that awareness and coming up with some quick scorecard way to, to show that, as well as looking at those, those customization or those development requests that come in or the third-party bolt-ons. We always look at it from a three-fold perspective. It's the current, it's a cloud platform or an EHR vendor? Does the current vendor do it already? If not, is it on their roadmap to come up in the next year or two? If not, then we can look potentially at a third-party package. But more often than not, I'll find out that that third-party bolt-on, the problem it's trying to solve, the CARE's point has already been uh, addressed in the core platform. Mm-hmm. And it's probably something we've already paid for, mm-hmm. but there wasn't an awareness. So I think making sure that we're explaining that keeping the dialogue uh, communication open and just raising that level of awareness.
0: Ash, any thoughts on
2: that? Maximizing the miles per gallon point too.
0: Very good. Ash, any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I love his miles per gallon analogy, although (laughs) I drive an EV, so I don't think I can claim that one anymore.
0: (laughs) Wattage per, I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah,
3: kilowatts per (laughs) mile or something, right? 2.7 kilowatts per mile, That's but uh, something more than that. That sounds too much. <laughs> but uh, uh yes, uh, I think uh both Kara and Tom have talked about this uh uh very well. You know, it starts with those KPIs that were identified when a large project was done, right? Those that one page around are we hitting some of those KPIs and go back to them at a certain point and understand are those working the way they were designed to work. I think one of the things that we have found very useful, at least in our organization, is that technology operators and technology managers, particularly project managers, are very good at processes and very good at accountability. So we have leveraged our resources to come back and organize how our users and our uh, end user leadership Views the system and build partnerships to say, here's what we see, and we will help you better organize what your needs are when we go back for optimization efforts. We're in the middle of uh, after completing a very large lab information systems uh, project. Uh, it was a legacy system that we needed to replace probably five years ago, but we finally got around to doing it after about an 18 month effort. And you can imagine the amount of change Mm. that brought to both the entire organization and also to the lab operations team. And we went back after about two months and we have a very significant effort. Now that you're in the system, we want you to do these 20 things better, different, or you tell us what are the things you don't like or like about it that we can change and tracking those and making them into either initiatives or making them into small projects and to themselves that the operating teams are leading, not us. Right? We're simply providing them with this set of resources that is working to do the work that maximizes their value. It's providing great results. We've found opportunities in the past with that effort, and I think we will keep learning to do that better and better every time.
0: Good. So it's it's uh, obvious and clear that the responsibility of IT is not just to turn on the system, but um, to make sure it's being used. And so people need to appreciate that. All right, Ash, we're going to start with you. Let's talk more about governance. I've heard it said that governance is the key to CIO success, but sometimes it sounds like governance will dictate where the IT dollars go and the CIO has little discretion in that process. And maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. Is that true? And how much influence, if any, does the CIO have on where the spending is going to go?
3: Yeah, I think uh, both of those can be true simultaneously, and it depends upon how we approach it. And I'll tell you about my own personal approach to how I think about discretionary dollars in IT spending. And I like to go upstream by saying I'm not a recipient of how the governance processes decide where the IT dollars go, but I influence the governance to what is the most strategically important priorities for the governance to decide upon. And that then leads to a relatively happy place where technology leaders like myself have influenced the decision-making in a way that leads the operators, leads the clinicians, and leads the strategic leadership of the organization to spend the dollars in the right place. And that comes from me being in front of and part of that higher leadership group that not only looks at what is 2023 leadership strategy for the organization going to be, what is our three-year roadmap going to look like, what does our board think about Where we are going to go. And I go up a stream because I want to influence that before that decision is made. So before 2023, uh, organizational goals were set, my goals were ready and my strategy was ready because that became part of the organizational strategy. And to itself, then it becomes exactly in sync. So I think governance is key, but it is as upstream as you can go, then it provides me with that opportunity to make sure that the dollars are spent. Because my role is not just to be the backroom computer guy. My room is to change how technology is used in the organization.
0: Excellent. Kara?
1: I would um, so in terms of the influence on, um, I have on the spending, I would say that it, it depends on the situation, but I'd like to say that I advise... Um, and advocate and that, yes, governance does play a role, but it's just one of the contributors. So as an example, there are certain things that I consider non-negotiable that we have to do, you know, whether it's maintaining certain systems, replacing hardware, um, you know, cybersecurity things. And sometimes that uses up most of the envelope of even discretionary capital. Um, And so I I often, especially in these times, lead with here are the must do's, like we have to do this. It's like, you know, air and oxygen, you know, oxygen, right, and water. Um, So and then I think the governance side can help determine what are the other priorities that might be important. But I try to leverage um, senior leaders to also advocate for what they think is most important for their strategy and for the overall um, organization strategy. And oftentimes, I find that we then run into not dollar challenges, but resource challenges, right? So we might have a lot of things that we want to do, and there might be some dollars there, but then, you know, we don't have enough resources, or they're on competing projects, and that can also dictate, you know, what's possible. So I think we like to hear what the organization and others have as priorities and make sure we haven't missed anything We kind of aggregate it all together. And there's various councils and ways that we try to set priorities and do some initial, like, you know, broad based ideas of what the projects are and, and what new initiatives are coming. And then we try to, you know, partner to advocate and then bring up any major roadblocks that are going to make something kind of a, not even a, I think for a discussion based on timing, resources, dollars, things like that.
2: Very good, Tom. So uh, although the title that, that we all have is, is some form of chief information officer, I kind of approach it as my job is also chief explainer. Mm-hmm. So i become a translator of IT. So I view governance as kind of a, it's, it's a twofold. Number one, I get to explain kind of what's, comprising that overall technology stack or that screen that somebody may click in operations, everything that has to happen behind it in order for that screen to operate appropriately, as well as kind of make sure that we're giving finance a forecast of what it takes. So let me put it this way. I don't wanna be in a position where I'm having to advocate or lobby for why something needs to be replaced, to Kara's point, because I'm at end of life versus something new that we need uh, in the health system. Because from a financial perspective, they maybe didn't know that that cost was coming up, or I thought we had more discretionary dollars that particular year. So I like to make sure that I'm kind of bundling all of that together as a service, all of those different layers, even if it's infrastructure, and forecasting, here's your your kind of your run rate. This is keeping us in business, keeping everything operational. And then let's have a dialogue. Now, that's the other part of governance that that I like, is that becomes a decision-making body. Help me with the competing priorities for these narrow and in some cases dwindling dollars that can be put toward new initiatives. Um, But from that perspective, it's it's I need to be able to translate the other direction too. I've got to be able to portray those technology initiatives or those projects in business terms. I need to understand the operational pain points of the health system, because if you come at it from a technology, pure technology perspective, it doesn't gain traction. Uh, And and it becomes uh, a different conversation at that point. So backing it up, I think making sure that we're projecting what it takes to keep us in business and then having an intelligent, translated discussion from a business perspective about where to apply those new dollars. uh, That's that's the genesis and and the uh, the crux of governance from from my standpoint.
0: Very good. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Let's talk about staff. Um, And I know this is a huge this is one of the biggest issues out there. Um, I just hear about people have having dozens of open positions that they can't fill. Kara talked about resource constraints. I think that's what we mean by resources, right? Beyond dollars, we're talking about people. Um, so speaking of staff, how would you describe the staff retention and talent acquisition situation today? With all the competition for talent, is it difficult to get and stay staffed with the talent mix you need? And what are the effects of being understaffed? Um, Ash, let's start with you.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I think we are all struggling with keeping our staff both meaningfully engaged and also growing because it's hard to compete with the dollars and cents that are available to offer to the same staff elsewhere in the technology world. Healthcare does not and cannot compensate the same way as some of the big tech does. So when you start opening up the ecosystem where we work and how we work to the nationwide uh, platform now that is available to staff to go and work anywhere, it has certainly created a significant uptick in pressures for us to retain staff and uh, our pressures on the staff are also continuing to increase because as the topic of uh, this particular conversation says, doing more with less means more pressure on staff to do more and do more sometimes with less staff, which creates this perception of burnout while they're not perceptibly feeling that they're getting compensated very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We certainly are facing uh, some very unusual circumstances, certain areas more than others that have created challenges for us, both for retention and also uh, just for getting our work done. Some of the basics of the work become very hard to accomplish. And and then you put on top of it this desire for the organization to continue to grow fast or to look at optimization of different uh, systems. What we have found um, success with is creating long-term plans with local universities and colleges to create internship programs and student programs, which have allowed us to create long-term loyalty for staff which have come in early on and stayed with us. Uh, we have a relatively large population of students at any given time. We tend to uh, retain about 20-25% of them because we look to create opportunities for them to come on board after they graduate from their universities to come on as full-time, which has helped because of our turnover rate tends to be lower for those particular category of students. And then we are able to grow them into different roles that we desired.
0: Very good. Uh, Tom, your thoughts?
2: I think there's a couple of of challenges. So obviously EMR staff from an IT perspective are very specific, uh, I would say, to our industry. Once you get out of that application, I think to Ash's point, we're now competing with almost every other industry that's out there. And with the uh, with the remote work aspect, it's um, somewhat nationalizing the labor pool, you could say. So it's it becomes challenging. So I think that's where it comes back to making sure that we're investing uh, in our people. So as you go through transformation and we move from apps that used to be in our data center into now more cloud platforms, investing in training uh, for those resources to help us get there because they already know our organization. Let's have them help, uh, have the skills to get us to where we need to go as well in the new world, uh, as well as tying it back to the mission. I had a former uh, colleague with whom I worked, uh, brought it up in social media the, the other day and said, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're we're helping the patient. So everything that we're doing here is connecting back to patients, patients' health and, and lives. And I think that's a very important value prop that not every industry uh, can make. So I think It it all gets back to the point of just making the case uh, for the employees, providing as many options and making sure that we're providing uh, flexible options uh, to be able to accommodate uh, certain employee circumstances and so forth. And at the end of the day, it's, because I still believe this, it's healthcare IT is the most exciting place in any industry to be. And I think once you can make that case to employees, uh, that goes a good part of the way towards that retention.
1: Excellent, Kara. Yeah. um, So we have definitely like everyone else have staff retention, talent acquisition challenges. I would just say that on a positive side, thank God we're not in nursing because (laughs) um, that's so much. I I see their challenges as entirely different and it's going to really change how healthcare is delivered in the future. Um, It's just not going to, can't sustain the way it is. Um, As to IT, I think we, Yes, we have challenges. I think the whole country has challenges um, for every job, not just IT jobs, right? So, I mean, you name it, right? Every Everyone's having challenges hiring staff. What I think is kind of unique to IT and then healthcare IT, um, but I think what's unique to IT is... Yes, you can work from home. You can. I mean, a lot of organizations, if they can't um, allow people to do remote work, that's you know definitely a game changer, and um, you know going to be harder and harder for organizations to keep staff. I think it is super competitive out there, especially systems like our ERP systems that we're putting in in cyber. They could go to any industry. Work for any industry and do the work that they're doing. Um, so we do want to try to hire and retain and help feel connect help our teams feel connected to the purpose of what they're serving, and that you know they're actually making patient care better and they're making you know the delivery of care better. And um, but I do agree with everything everyone else was saying about trying to train people. Um, I think the life work balance instead of work life balance is totally real. And um, what we can try to offer is as much flexibility as possible, depending on the the you know the work that's being done and you know the needs at hand. Um, I think changing the paradigm about looking at productivity differently and you know depending on the roles, how do you make sure that the work can get done? And sometimes time of day and and where the location, you know where the work is being done doesn't always um have to, isn't always as important as just getting it done and working collectively together with uh, different tools that enable creativity and, and collaboration, regardless of where you're sitting. So lots of different things.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Kara. All right. My favorite section, uh, hear what our panelists want to know from each other. So Tom, let's start with you. Do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists?
2: So, Ash and Kara, particularly as we're we're looking at uh, these constrained types of budgets that we're looking at right now, how do you handle the following situation, which is a new digital tool comes up, and let's say it's been uh, thought to this is not the right time through governance, through cost, uh, timing, whichever, but you find out it's begun creeping into the organization and folks have begun uh, adding it. How do you address that?
3: Ash, let's start with you. <laughs> Yes, that never happens, right? (laughs) I think our challenges are far and wide and very often uh, they become uh, very, very uh, difficult to try and manage, especially in the world where a lot of these Mm -hmm. services have become uh, applications as a service or software as a service. And we have done or three different things to try and manage um, that aspect of it especially if it is something that has already been included into the organizational ecosystem and first is we've created a, uh, a relatively leaky but somewhat effective uh, ability to try and at least get control over how the dollars are spent on loosely technology applications throughout the organization. So if something like that happens to come into the organization, we take over the management of it. We look at it from certain basic aspects of whether it meets our security requirements, whether it has all the contractual appropriate controls in place, and then we take over the delivery and efficiency of the system going forward, and then we have a annual process to see if there are duplicates and we look to retire things that don't need to be there in the organization. It's a whack-a-mole sort of a process that ends up being a perpetual game that you have to do. We don't say no. We can't say no because that becomes too much of a IT as a shop of saying no to everything. We rather bring it into the ecosystem, control it, and then look to exit if there is duplication throughout the system. That's how I like to approach it, Tom.
1: Kara? So, I like, Ash, I like the approach of yes, but, but, right? So, we can do this, but here's what we're going to need in order to kind of make it successful, and um ask them you know the organization or the group that's you know wanting to bring the product in to help support the cost of even um temporary help to kind of get it implemented that's one thing i think the safeguards and the checks and balances every organization is different you know, steps along the way, but I think some of you talk, talked about this already, right? So the cyber, you know, so first of all, software, any software you can bring into the organization, if someone's buying it and it's cloud-based and you're sending patient data, like that has to get shut down unless it's evaluated, right? So there's a whole a bunch of unintended consequences that we um, try to manage that. Or if we find out about it, it's going to need to go through a review, I think the procurement process and who pays for it and the checks and balances there also are some other safeguards that we put in place. So a lot of IT software has to go through me anyways. Um, But if the ship is sailed and you're trying to remediate it, I think that, you know, either it's going to not scale probably well or with standards, or maybe there's a capability where you can have an ask and ask for either additional resources or something to assist. what you know some of the the steps initially I think to, to stop it from going in and lessons learned and the reasons why and part of the education on how you do go about going through a process to get um you know something into the organization and coming up with the playbook and the steps and making sure everyone's aware of it so that it's fair game and that people know what to follow and how to and how to do it correctly.
3: If I may, Kara, I'm going to pick on this because it triggered a memory. We created an easy button process Mm -hmm. for essentially educating people. I want a, we publish a portfolio of services out to the organization. We call it the easy button process. Here's what you do when you need something. It doesn't work all the time, but at least it tries to publish out to people. that We're not saying no. You're saying come to us and we'll help you get
1: there. Mm -hmm. Exactly.
0: All right. Very good. Ash, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists?
3: Oh, I do. I have a million-dollar question for both Uh-oh. of you. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on managing remote teams? Or would you forecast two or three years from now thinking about balancing out, bringing people back in person fully, most of the time, never, How are you approaching that uh, mix of challenges around managing multiple teams, different places, the cultural challenges of new people coming on board, turnover happening, people don't know what they don't know, and all those drifts that will happen in how the teams perceive themselves the longer this hybrid remote sort of work situation continues. I love your ideas on it. Carol, let's start with you.
1: Um, So I would say about 85 to 90% of my staff is remote. Um, And there are a couple of things like related to physical space. We have not given up all of our physical space, but we have uh, significantly reduced it and we have the hoteling aspect. Um, And I do have a few people who still have interest Um, and being on site every day, and they can have allocated space, and and, or if they're a manager and above, they get an office. Um, We have started to, we're we're based in Boston, and we're not um, across the country, so I think it differs, you know, depending on where the teams are, but we have started to have certain days of the week that teams bring people in to be together and work together. Um, We have called it hybrid, not 100% remote work, because we don't think we can say in our current situation that someone might never be called in um, to actually address an issue. And I would say that we also have geographic limitations and that we do not um, allow remote work, um, you know, 100% remote work um, outside of the state so while we might have people that are coming doing casual work from like adjacent you know states like Rhode Island New Hampshire Maine, um, if it's remote work we're not um, set up to allow for that at this point so there still needs to be some accommodations there. Um, I think in terms of, Where the future is going, I don't think it's going away, right? So I see this as the new normal um, and that we have to continue to just uh, make it work as effectively as possible. I think where we can for jobs that are uh, more metrics-based and productivity-based, I think we need to manage those productivity um, tools, and I find that um, having that attention and using dashboards and and helping leaders know what's expected of um, their teams um, and holding people accountable is going to be you know especially crucial. Um, but for us, I see it as um, one attractive component of what helps some people feel that there's flexibility in the workplace and um, I'll allow them to continue there. Now, I would say that. You know, there are some other shared services like finance and HR that have casual workers, but we are definitely on the IT side leading um, from that perspective. We also provide standard tools. You know, obviously, like, you know, we don't want uh, bring your own device for your computers and things like that. So we try to, you know, create the same experience and, um, and you know, and obviously manage the cyber pieces and all those pieces and parts. I would say also, you know, there are times that certain meetings require video on, right, for engagement. Other times it, it's not a big deal. So it's it's just kind of, I think we're still always going to be working it out, but I, I think it's something that's always going to be with us.
2: Tom, your thoughts? Sure. So we're a, a hybrid um IT shop as well. So we have folks that are absolutely working remotely. I think there's two points though to uh, to keep in mind with it. It's it's the level of engagement. So how do you not end up with a disenfranchised employee who's uh, kind of doing work for your organization but doesn't feel part of the organization? So to that end, um, I personally do uh, virtual drop-ins uh, with our infrastructure team and our uh, every almost every Friday, just 30 minutes. It's an open uh, team's meeting to the entire department. There isn't an agenda. I just field any questions anybody comes up with, and we end up with a couple hundred folks on that uh, call. So it's one way to try to reach out and connect with them. The other, I would encourage you to Google uh, or or search for the the book, The Leadership Pipeline, or an article on the Leadership Pipeline and the levels of developing leaders in an organization. Kind of from managing yourself, uh, step one, step two, managing others, step three, managing other managers. I think there's a lot of great competencies in there that you can build into a leadership team but now I think we're at the inflection point where we can now adjust that to say there's new skills you need to be able to manage employees remotely. And each one of those three steps have employee, uh, excuse me, remote employee engagement attributes that can be added into it. And um, I think definitely having the right ratios, Uh, one manager to 30 employees, probably not the best for a remote environment, but making sure that we keep it small enough so that you can keep tabs on them. I agree with Kara Metro, uh, Productivity metrics are important, but I also think keeping that casual stop in. Uh, I was able to work with our CEO, even within our, our Microsoft Teams platform, to uh, to interpret the availability indicator. It's a little jelly bean, lets you know if you're in a meeting or not. And when it's green, our CEO will do a virtual video drop in uh, with an employee just around on them, just to see how they're doing. And uh, he absolutely loves that approach.
0: Very good. All right. We're almost out of time. Uh, I'd like to do a lightning round of final thoughts. Uh, Your best piece of advice for someone in your position at a comparable organization, an organization of comparable size, your best piece of advice for them as they deal with this economic adverse times. Ash, let's start with you.
3: I think uh, the most effective uh, part of dealing with the challenge with economic headwinds is That flexibility in what you're committing yourself and your teams to and how you make sure that your teams are engaged and engaged in the right work is most important. Telling the story to the business partners that you can't overcommit people to things that they can't do and only take on work that is feasible is the most important thing. Teams never recover from feeling when they can't meet both the organizational demand and the demands we put on them. So only ask from them what is feasible and not burn them on both ends. So just being reasonable with your teams and making sure that you're keeping the teams together throughout the toughest of times because teams are hard to build back.
0: Very good, Ash. Thank you so much. Kara?
1: I would say that it's so competitive out there that, you know, the remaining creative around how you might engage your teams, understand there's micro teams under the teams um, and trying to promote a culture that you want want to see. Right. So if people want to, if you want people to come in the office or feel like there's a little bit of a social aspect, you know, have a fun committee, kind have a, a book club, try to have, you know, some of the, I know they're probably overdone now, but the virtual cocktail hours or the virtual coffees and do some of those things. Um, and, keep trying different things because I feel like it's, it's uh, a marathon, not a sprint right now. And that we just got to, you know, kind of stay as upbeat as we can because it's, it's, it's difficult times. Um, But I don't see it um, changing anytime soon. It's always, I think the competitive environment is going to continue and that we have to just kind of bring new ideas and try to keep things fresh.
0: Very good. Tom, we'll give you the last word.
2: Uh, I I think the the key is to make sure that uh, particularly it's actually better during these types of economic downturn type of environments to um, uh, to reassess what you're doing. uh, Get back to making sure that we're doing what we should be doing for the health system. And that scope hasn't increased over time, uh, maybe in an inefficient fashion. Rationalizing applications, rationalizing hardware, particularly as we're beginning to move from on site to cloud. Managing your costs, making sure you don't spend up more than you need. You want your consumption to be right in line with your usage. And then open dialogue, 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 dialogue with the business side, making sure that we're, we're taking those discretionary dollars we have and making sure that collectively we're all applying them at the best spot, at the right time, in the right way. And I think that's one way to get through uh, what we're all faced with right now.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Tom. Well, that's about all we had time for today. Incredible talk regarding continuing education. You can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Cara Babachikos, Tom Barnett, and Dr. Ash Goel, and I want to thank you, our attendees, for joining our events And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. You you as well. Thank you.